You know, I was trying to remember back the first time I started to think I knew who I was as a person. Uh, was it when I learned to answer to my name, James? Was it when I learned to answer not only to my name, but to the various nicknames that my family called me? Was it James, Jamie, Jebber, any of those other kinds of names by which my, uh, uh, my parents and grandparents called me? Uh, was it... Um, was it when I claimed for myself that I was no longer Jamie because my first grade, my second grade, my third grade, and my fourth grade teacher all called me Jamie, and somewhere around fifth grade, I decided that I was James. I was not Jamie, I was James. Was it when I claimed that name? When I was in fifth grade, I had this really wonderful teacher, Mrs. Barwick, uh, Miss Barwick at that time, um, and uh, I was at Sparrow Road Elementary. I was kind of, I know you won't believe this, but it is absolutely true. I was a quiet, uh, shy, uh, reserved uh, person. I uh, was, uh, you know, you might think I'm shy and reserved now, but you're probably laughing if you're hearing this. Uh, but the truth is, you, uh, you may, uh, you may think that this is the way I've always been. But really, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Barwick, began to bring me out of my shell. Uh, and actually invited me, you know, we did all sorts of things that really, in today's fifth grade, I don't think we'd ever do anymore because we're so much teaching to a test anymore that we, uh, that all the things that might develop you as a person, sometimes we skip over doing. But she gave us each opportunities to lead, to stretch ourselves. And I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of leading. At, in fifth grade, it was very uncomfortable with, for me to ever, uh, I was, you know, I, I felt like kind of an outsider. I think we all feel weird. Where do we fit in in the world? And she stretched me. She made me lead. We would march around the room, and we had different marching steps that we would do, and you'd, the leader called them and changed them. So she eventually convinced me. I led, and it was marching. I mean, you know, so what? Uh, and it was movement, and it was different kinds of things, but I came to begin to know myself in the fifth grade. I could point to all sorts of other times in my life when I thought I was beginning to know who I am and who I might be. Um, and I wonder if today's story that I want to read to you isn't a little bit of the same. I want you to listen with an ear to what God might be saying to you this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. I'm reading to you verses 13 through 20. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. It's a story that may be familiar to you, but if it is, great. And if it isn't, uh, great. It's even better if it's not, because I'd love for you to hear it as if for the first time. Just listen. Just listen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say 
that the Son of Man is. And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the, gate of, the gates of death will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. There's a lot of who am I in this story. If you think about it, there's a lot of who am I. Jesus has revealed himself, you know, son of, son of man is a title. And it can mean any number of things. Uh, some people think it's an apocalyptic title, an end of time title. You know, the son of man comes to bring the kingdom with power and force. But it can really just mean human beings. I mean, if you think about it, we're all sons of men, sons of women. Uh, you know, if we, if we even, uh, I, I think it's an interesting play on words. If you've ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that they refer to human beings as son, sons of Adam for men and daughters of Eve for women. And what's interesting is it takes them both, actually. So we're all sons of Adam and Eve and daughters of Adam and Eve. And Adam in Hebrew, just because I like to throw around a little Hebrew now and then, it means dirt, earth, or human being. The first person's name in the biblical story meant human being. Human being. So, the Son of Man. Who does everybody else say that I am. I think this was a softball. I think Jesus threw it out there on purpose. Get them thinking about identity. Get them thinking about who other people are saying I am. What am I about? Who is this son of man Jesus guy? Well, some people say, you know, you're John the Baptist. Now, by this time in the story, John the Baptist has been killed. So this is a new, you know, like you've come, John the Baptist has come back to life in Jesus. Some people say you're exactly like John the Baptist. Some people say you're like Elijah. Now, if you know the story, if you don't know the story of Elijah, it doesn't matter because I'm going to just briefly say that Elijah was so faithful, the story goes, that he didn't die. He was just taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. That's how faithful he was. And so Elijah is a pretty important prophet, the forerunner of the Messiah. Some people say you're Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah. Other people list you among the other prophets. Jeremiah, the named prophets, the people people would know. That's who everybody is saying you are, Jesus. So they are starting to think about identity, and that's when Jesus turns the question back on them. 
Who do you say I am, though? Everybody else is saying all these other things about me. Who do you say? Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Of course, Simon is the first one to speak up. Simon is always, almost always, the first one to speak up. Uh, He does not have a pause button. I just don't think Simon has a pause button. The boy just speaks up. How many times has that happened to you in in a conversation? You spoke before you thought. Whatever came out of your mouth just came out. That's kind of Simon to me. I have more than once regretted things that came out of my mouth because I didn't think before I spoke. That's one of the lessons I learned as a child. James, perhaps you should speak before you think, before you think before you speak. And I try to do that most of the time. Still, Simon speaks up. Now, the gospel actually says Simon Peter spoke up, but Peter hasn't gotten the name Peter yet. Simon is his name at this point, but because the gospel's being written a long time into the future, everybody just calls him Peter. They don't call him Simon anymore. They call him Rocky. That's what it means. Peter uh, uh, is rock. Peter means rock. So Jesus says, you got that right. And you know what? In that moment, I can only imagine that Simon feels puffed up immediately. Puffed up. I mean, when you get it, when you cross the line from an unbeliever to a believer, when you join the church, you're an insider now. You have arrived. You made a decision that changed your world, didn't you? Did you really? Whose accomplishment was it? Whose achievement was it? Because Peter is thinking, look at my achievement. I got it it right on the first time. And immediately Jesus says to him, you know how you know that? Because God revealed it to you. Not because of some kind of superpower you got, Simon, but because God revealed it to you. It's a gift, not an achievement. This is why sometimes I have a little struggle with folks inside the church who think, look at us. We can judge anybody else. And why can we judge anybody else? Because we got here. We're insiders. We said yes. We've achieved what we needed to in this life. It's not an achievement. You say yes to God, it's kind of a gift. Why do some people get it and others don't? I don't know. But it's a gift. It's not something that you can laud yourself about, think you're great because you said yes. And somebody else hadn't said yes yet. It's it's a gift, not an achievement. So immediately, puffed up Peter gets knocked down just a little, just a little notch. Just a notch. Remember, Peter, this is a gift. It's not yours. It's a gift. And it's a gift that I intend to share with everyone. And on the gift you've received... This knowledge of the Messiah, of the kingdom of heaven, of love for everyone, of hope unimagined, of inclusion of all people. On that hope, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a church on community, on uh, on a place without walls. See, what's so 
I know this is a challenging time. I'll take just a moment to say this is a challenging time. We are not together. We really want to see each other. What's the three common denominators of the three introductions we've received the last three weeks? Whether it was Bill and Sharon, uh, Mark and Joy, or Mark and Catherine, they left us with the same thought, each one of them. We miss see you in person. We miss seeing you in person. We miss gathering in the space together. But we must never forget the church is something without walls. We don't build walls. We live in some walls here. We've got some walls. Keeps the rain off if it's raining. Keeps the cold out when it's cold. And since it's about, what, 90 degrees outside now? I don't know. Something like that. It keeps it cool when it's hot. But in the end, the church can't be held in walls. The church is the unleashing of the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's the beginning of the sharing of the good news that if you say yes, you can say yes to a love that already exists for you. It's not if you say yes, God will love you. It's that God already loves you and just wants you to say yes, you'll love him back. That's all God wants. That's all God hopes for, is that you will know you are infinitely loved and precious beyond belief, that there is no one else like you in the universe, and that you have a special gift. You have a special gift. I have a special gift to give. In that moment, Peter began, I think, Simon began to think. Simon Peter began to think of who he was. In coming to recognize God in his life, Peter came to recognize himself. What's interesting, I, I've been, I often share to you, uh, share with you readings from Julian of Norwich, who was a 14th century mystic in England. And Julian says, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to ourselves. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to ourselves. The more we open up to the truth that we're already infinitely loved. We're already precious beyond belief. And that we're invited to be a part of the change God sees in the universe that the great unfolding of all that is, that's unfolding moment by moment, we can be part of it. And we can shape it with love, with hope, with inclusion, with invitation. Now, not everybody accepts the invitation. There's stories in the, in the, in the biblical text about an invitation goes to everybody and a lot of people are too busy. <laughs> to uh, come and answer the invitation. Our job is simply to issue the invitation. Do you know that you're already loved? Do you know that you're already loved? And the more we know that we're loved, the more we can't keep it to ourselves. The more we are who God made us to be. Peter comes to know in that moment a little bit more about who he is because he's not just Simon Barjona, Simon son of Jonah. 
That's what Bar means, son of. He is Simon Peter, the rock upon which Jesus will build the church. One of two times, actually, uh, in the Gospels that the word church is mentioned. Both of them are in Matthew. One of them is here. One's in chapter 18, just so you know. And Peter's going to get the keys. Now, I think it's really important for you to know something. We have caricatured Peter, that he's got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And because we have all put off heaven until the next world, we imagine that there's a great big gate and that Peter is on, I've seen all, you've seen the comics. You've had to have seen comics where Peter is at this big podium uh, and there's a long line of people waiting to go through the gates. He's got his keys. You don't always see the keys hanging from his belt or something like that for the gate. But he's looking at a book and people, and he's always in a long white robe. He's got a long white beard and he's looking down and somebody comes up and he looks in the book and he sees if you're there. That's not the key to the kingdom at all. <laughs> That's not the key to the kingdom at all. The key to the kingdom is knowing that you belong to God, that you are loved by God, that you are part of a community from before you were born until now. And that God just wants you to live into that community, to love your neighbor as yourself, like Jeremy and Daisy did for me yesterday. They didn't know me from Adam. Yes, son of Adam that I am, way, 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 way back, according to the biblical story. But they didn't know me from Adam. And yet Daisy stopped her work to come outside and text her next-door neighbor who happened to own a garage, who was no longer at his garage because he doesn't work on Saturday, who left his house and came to see my car, check it, brought with him his equipment, plugged in my car, found out what the code was, reset the code, told me it was all about the coolant in my uh, system and helped me get on my way. And then the funny thing is, he's, he waited for me while I refilled my jug because he said, I just want to make sure it starts before you leave. A man who could have been doing anything else, it was his day off, stayed. Waited to make sure my car started. And then what's funny? I saw him in my rearview mirror following me out of town, making sure I made it out of town. Jeremy made sure I made it out of town. You see, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's its visual little images. If you just look closely, you see it happening. You see it happening. And the reason I told that story this morning as a part of the centering moment is you need to remember those are the stories that matter. The stories when somebody reaches out in ways that no one else will know. Jeremy and Daisy did not know. That, first of all, they didn't have any idea what my job was. I was completely nondescript, and I never told them. They had no idea what I do. And they certainly had no idea that I would be putting them in as a sermon illustration this morning of what it means to be a good neighbor. But you see, that's the kingdom. That's the key to the kingdom. Loving God with all that you are and loving your neighbor. And on that journey, you discover who you really are because you can't know who you are if you don't know love. If you don't know love, you can't know who you are. Just like Julian said, it is a journey. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to yourself because the closer you get to love. 
and you realize that that love that you know is already surrounding you. And not only is it surrounding you outside, it is already implanted inside you. And it's just waiting to burst out if you'll let it. If you will let it. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is the one who loved you so much that he laid it all on the line and invited us outsiders. At least that's how we imagined ourselves, to be insiders. But not so that we could draw lines or walls so everybody else was outsiders now and we were insiders but so that we could tear down the walls and erase the lines. And remember, in the end, we are measured by one thing and one thing only, and it is love. The love that makes me, James, that in this room with me makes Linda, Linda, Mark, Mark, and Joy, Joy. And all of you who happen to be watching either live or later this week, it makes you, you. Love is what holds you in place. And it's what invites you over and over again to say yes and engage with life. It wasn't when I learned my name that I knew who I was. It wasn't when I learned my nicknames. It wasn't even when Miss Barwick brought me out of my shell. It's when I fell in love with Jesus and in doing so, discovered love, unconditional love, unconditional, given without cost or price to me. That's when I really began to discover who I am. Now, the challenge for all of us in life is we have to discover it over and over again because we forget that we're loved. Usually, you see it come out when you're short with someone, when you're ugly to someone else because of your own frustration. And usually, it's you're frustrated with yourself, and so you take it out on somebody else. You channel your pain on somebody else. You don't let love change you. So it's a long and slow process. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. Oh, man, it is slow sometimes. But if you can learn to trust in the love of God in the person of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the world could be a different place. Do you know who you are? Because who you are is a precious child of God loved exactly as you are for who you are. You are the opportunity you take to let that love go. As it comes in, it goes out. That's the key to the kingdom that Peter has, love. He knows love personally. Do you? I want to invite you to seek out that love, trust that love, 
And trust that you are loved just for who you are. Trust that. It's powerful.